crush manna fell to the ground as a gift from God. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, this is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can taste and smell fresh manna. Today you'll be listening to Pastor Sean Grisendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. Now, here's Pastor Sean. Happy Sabbath. Praise the Lord. This is a high Sabbath as we've come to worship the Lord and also be a part of an experience with baptism. We also are continuing our series with the sanctuary and it's all going to come together here. So I invite you if you're able to kneel with me as we begin in prayer for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Loving Father in heaven, we've come before your throne of grace in prayer, acknowledging that we need Jesus. We need that living connection with heaven. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Please hide me behind the cross of Christ and may Jesus be lifted up and may we experience the victory you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for our sister Mary who is taking this stand in baptism today. And Lord, we ask that you would pour your spirit upon her in a special way. We're so grateful, Lord, that we can journey with you all the way to heaven. And this is a part of that experience. In Jesus' name, amen. So while we're continuing our journey through the sanctuary, it's really my prayer that we will see how prayer is an integral part of a victorious Christian experience. And the more I prayed about it, I realized this is really what a life of a Christian means to be, is that our life is perfumed with this incense of a connection with Christ. Before we're converted, before we take that stand in baptism, we basically do what pleases ourselves. We speak our own words. We think our own plans. When we accept Christ, we allow him to fill us with the aroma of his righteousness. Now, I'd like us to turn to Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 141, verse 2, which is a verse in scripture that equates prayer with incense. It's a sweet thing when we come to God in prayer. The high priest in the sanctuary in the Old Testament would offer incense in the daily ministration, and it was also part of the Day of Atonement, which we'll be learning about in our final message in this series. Psalm 141, and we're looking at verse 2. The psalmist speaks in these words and says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So when we come to God in prayer, we're actually offering up the sacrifice of Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's not through our merits, but it's the merits of Jesus that we offer in prayer. And so prayer is essential for us to live a victorious or new Christian experience. And so for one who's getting baptized, it's important to learn that it's about having a constant connection with Jesus. Our scripture reading was taken from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. And I'd like us to turn there, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Only three words, but powerful. If we would all live this experience, how different our lives will be. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. In other words, never stop having an ongoing connection with Jesus. It is not necessary to always be kneeling 24-7, but when you can kneel, do so. Because to do so indicates that we honor or reverence him, that we show that respect that's due to him. The angels love to bow before God. And we can consider it a privilege also to approach God in that petition of humility, as Psalms describes 
Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Christ also knelt when he was praying. Now, that doesn't mean that we must always be in that position because when we're driving, when we're walking, we can be talking to God as to a friend. And that's what God wants to cultivate in our Christian experience. And my prayer is that for Mary and for each of us, we would realize that we have a constant lifeline. I remember one time talking with a leader in the church, and he said that prayer is direct access to the throne of God. And I really liked how he said that, because there are times when you're in this experience, you don't know what to do. God knows what to do. He sees everything in your life, everything you've gone through, everything you're going to go through, and everyone around you. And by lifting up a prayer, God can immediately give you wisdom as to what to do. So we invite God to teach us. In fact, in Ephesians 3, verse 20, what does prayer give us access to? Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. The kind of plans God has for us. Ephesians 3, and we're looking at verse 20. Ephesians 3, and we're looking at verse 20, and this is the promise. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So when we're connected to God through prayer and surrender of our will to Christ, he has plans for us that exceed our highest expectations. That's why God wants us to be constantly praying, constantly connected to that life source. And that's why even in the sanctuary, it was necessary that incense was continually ascending before God because it represented that the only way that sinful beings like ourselves can be found acceptable is through the incense of the merits and the intercession of Jesus. He's continually praying for us. Now we might ask, well, what would be some of the things that we should pray for? Well, for one, acknowledge your need of the Holy Spirit to even show you what to pray for. Go to Romans 8, verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26. Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at verse 26. There are times you may get on your knees and you're thinking, what should I pray for? And the Holy Spirit can teach us and even help us where we're weak. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's intense. That's really deep, intimate yearnings that God has for your life and he will pray for you. And then I believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't just pray for you and then leave you completely oblivious to what he wants. He can teach you in the deep places of your heart by bringing a text of scripture back to mind or reminding you of what he's done in your life or an impression of what he wants to give you. And he'll strengthen you to remember that it's his strength through the Holy Spirit that it will come to pass. So prayer and the Holy Spirit directly connected. And that's why it connects so well with this beautiful Sabbath that we have today and Mary being baptized because after Jesus was baptized, the first thing he did after he came up out of that water and got on that shore is he knelt down and he prayed. And he prayed earnestly because he knew who was going to be on his track. And if you read the Bible, right after Jesus getting baptized is the temptation. And I say this to not in any way startle or scare anyone who's taking a stand with Jesus, but to encourage you that you have a life source through prayer when you're tempted. When the enemy comes in, like everything he can throw at you, you can talk to God about it, and God is more powerful than the devil. In fact, when you get on your knees, I want you to just picture this. When you get down on your knees, you know what Satan does? He starts trembling. He's like, oh no, because he knows that you with God are way more powerful than he is. And so I want to make the devil tremble all the time. I want to be praying all the time, and I want him to stay far away from me because he's afraid of me. Now, 
It's not that he's afraid of you. He's afraid of Jesus who will live in you through the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing. The Christian life is not meant to be one of defeat and sin and brokenness. It's meant to be one of victory in Jesus. And then when you get into those tight spots, you pray. God gives you an answer. You keep moving forward. And then you have a witness. People are going to say, wow, that's what a Christian life is. It's a life of victory. Now, God understands that maybe times we fall, but every failure in our part is due to a lack of faith. And that's what prayer gives us. It increases our faith as we claim the promises of God. So we want to take a look now. In in the Old Testament sanctuary, what was that piece of furniture that represented where the incense would ascend? We go to Exodus 30. We're starting in verse 1. Exodus 30, starting in verse 1. Exodus chapter 30, and we're looking at verse 1. And we'll go up through verse 10. And we've talked about this in our series that the sanctuary in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, was constructed after the pattern of the heavenly sanctuary. And so that's why when Moses was given the directions, he wasn't coming up with this. It was basically downloaded to him. God showed him the minute details how to make these things because it would teach important lessons in the Christian life, the ministry of Jesus, and how we can be victorious over everything the devil throws at us. So Exodus 30, beginning in verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof. Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Now, in these 10 verses, we're given basically a description of what this piece of furniture was like. It was the one closest to the veil, and it was to be used for incense. There was a specific composition only to be used for the sanctuary, and it was the role of Aaron, the high priest, who represents Christ, our great high priest, to offer this incense and to do it every time he would light the lamps. So it was a continual sweet, sweet aroma. And so if you were walking around in the encampment, you would have smelled this sweet smell of incense. And we as sinful beings, we need Christ's righteousness. Can you say amen to that? Our lives, if we're without Jesus, we smell bad. Like it's just the reality. Like sin is a mess and it breaks us and it destroys us. But when you have Jesus and Jesus says, I see not in them the vileness of the sinner when they're praying. I see that they're connected to my righteousness. And I'm living out my life through them. And that's the power source. That's the victory that we have, is we can always come to God through prayer because he's praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, now connecting this with Christ's priestly ministry in the sanctuary in heaven, 
Hebrews 7, verse 25. Just as there was continual intercession going on there, it was to teach us lessons about his continual intercession in heaven. Hebrews 7, and we're looking at verse 25. Hebrews 7, looking at verse 25, God promises, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I've heard it put this way, that God specializes in taking people from the guttermost to the uttermost. You know, we all have sinned against God. That's our universal condition, if we're honest. Unfortunately, the devil tries to get you to not feel your need. But if you recognize your sinfulness, it's evidence that God is showing you your need of a Savior. And Jesus says, I can take any case, no matter how sinful, no matter what your past, no matter what your family, no matter what your hereditary or cultivated tendencies to evil, I can heal and restore you into my image and transform your character. That's the gospel in a nutshell, basically, is Christ came to save us from our sins. And when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, we will want, this is the beautiful thing, we will want to pray, we will want to read our Bible. And I'm not saying there won't be temptations to neglect it. But the more you know of Christ, the more you find joy in his presence, the more you're going to hunger for what Jesus hungered for. He longed to win souls. And so we become connected to that intercessory ministry through his high priestly prayer. Now, some of us may not feel worthy at times, and I want to emphasize this. There are times in our experience where we look at our own life and we're like, I don't feel like I can pray right now. I remember there was one time, sometimes people will send out texts for prayers, like, please pray for this situation. And the situation to describe, uh, I don't really know the names that were involved, But apparently this person did not feel like they could pray. So they asked other people to pray for them. And I went and I found a quote that said, when you feel you can't pray, that's exactly the time to pray. And I texted it over and they said, wow, I needed that right now. And the thing is, the devil will try to get you to feel like you can't pray. You've sinned and God can't accept you. Well, who are you basing your merit on? Jesus or your own? That's the key. You have to look away from yourself and acknowledge that God wants to save you. And so just when you feel like, I can't talk to God about this, tell him. Ask for strength. Ask for forgiveness. Allow him to work in your heart. And there's victory there every single time. Now, it's always appropriate for us to ask for the Holy Spirit because we need him. Luke 11, 13. Luke 11, verse 13. Our need for the Holy Spirit, and this really is so essential when a person is baptized, that the Holy Spirit must come into our lives, not only to fill us, but to come upon us for ministry. And so it's appropriate to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to fill us so that he will use us. We're not asking God to send the Holy Spirit like a nebulous power that we can now use as like a power search for our own will. But we ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that his will is done through us and that he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, blending our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that we're actually going to desire what his will is for us. That's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit can do. He's so transformational in our characters. Luke 11. 13, and the question is asked, if ye then being evil, in other words, by nature fallen and sinful, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So it doesn't say that them that pray for a week. It doesn't say them that, you know, it's simply ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit and he will fill you. Now, part of asking for the Holy Spirit is also that we are willing to renounce any known sin in our life. We're also told in the Proverbs that if we continue in sin, our prayer becomes an abomination. Not because God doesn't want to reach us, but we're essentially short-circuiting the process. Prayer is about you connecting to God and what his will is for you. 
If you are holding on to cherished iniquity and you're planning to continue to go down that path, then to pray and continue to down your downward path is really, you're missing what God is desiring for you in that relationship. And I'm thankful that God can take rebels of all kinds and finally get to the point where they realize prayer is about surrender. It's about trusting God. And so God wants to move in our hearts in that way. Now, we want to talk a little bit about what is appropriate to pray about. Because I think sometimes people will struggle. They're like, I don't really have a lot to pray about. Actually, the more you get to know God, the more you realize you have a lot to pray about. There's a lot of things you can talk about. And the first thing that we want to emphasize is it is always appropriate, always appropriate to ask God to forgive any sin that you've committed that you know about and that the Holy Spirit has showed to you. First John 1, 9. And it is actually through prayer that we make a confession because you're praying to God that he will forgive you of what you've done. First John 1, verse 9. First John 1 and verse 9. And it's important that we know that God will keep this promise. The devil will do everything he can to say, well, you did it again. Or why, you know, and to make you feel like you can't go back to Jesus. That is a lie. And the key is turning our eyes to him and to his promise. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you may be familiar with the It Is Written Bible Study lessons. There's actually an illustration in one of the back of those lessons. And there's a story about a woman who, for many, many years, confessed the same sin over and over and over. And she just felt so guilty about it. Finally, she talked to a pastor and she said, Pastor, I've just been, you know, filled with a sense of guilt and I feel really bad about what I've done. I keep confessing it. And then the pastor asked her a question. Well, I think the problem is that you believe that God is a liar. And she just kind of like went back to a liar. He said, yeah, read the text. And so he had, he had to read 1 John 1, 9. And where it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And she began to realize, I've confessed that sin probably 50,000 times too many. That's the key. You confess a sin and you turn from it. You don't need to confess that same sin for that same situation again. Can we say amen on that? But the devil's going to bring it back up, by the way, because he's trying to accuse you and get you discouraged instead of looking at your Savior. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring to your mind the sins that need to be confessed. It's the accuser, the devil, that's going to remind you of all your past sins and try to get you under that cloud of discouragement. Don't fall for it. Choose sunshine. Choose a sunshine experience with Jesus where you're looking to him and not to the devil's accusations. Prayer is essential that we believe that when we ask God for something, that he will grant it. And that connects us with Matthew 21, verse 22. Matthew 21, verse 22. It's essential to believe that when you do ask God for something you know is his will, that he will grant it. Matthew 21 and verse 22. Matthew 21, and we're looking at verse 22. And the Bible says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So faith is essential. We must believe. But here's something to think about. I like how Desire of Ages, page 266, paragraph 2 brings in. It says, When we pray for earthly blessings, the answer to our prayers may be delayed, or God may give us something other than we ask, but not so when we ask for deliverance from sin. It is his will to cleanse us from sin, to make us his children, and to enable us to live a holy life. Can you say amen to that? God will never say, well, I'm not going to forgive you this time. And there are times in our relationships, maybe you've asked someone to forgive you, and they're like, I just can't forgive you right now. I just need to, you know, have a week. God is not that way. And I really believe that God can work on our hearts to the point where when someone asks us for forgiveness, that we can readily do so. 
I'm not saying that every situation is easy to work through, but the truth is being forgiven means that we will be forgiving. Does that make sense? So part of that connection with believing God hears our prayers is that we manifest the same spirit that he's shown to us towards others. And I'm thankful that as we experience that intercessory ministry of Jesus, we'll realize that he wants our lives to be an aroma, a blessing that people will say, why are you so cheerful? Why are the fruits of the spirit manifested in your life even when things are seemingly going wrong? Because the truth is, a Christian is having a good time all the time because all things work together for good to them that love God, Romans 8, 28. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 30, and we're going to look at the incense. Because this incense, there's a specification about how it was composed, and it was specified only to be used for that purpose. And God wants us to understand how prayer is really to be used. It's for his purposes. Exodus 30, we're looking at verse 34 through 38. Exodus 30, verses 34 through 38. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, and anica, and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell thereto, shall even be cut off from his people. This is a pretty strong warning against using this or making it for only your own purposes. And one way we could think of it is, God is not calling us to go and pray prayers for fancy cars and big mansions for ourselves and our own selfish purposes. We could put it this way. Do not pray selfishly. And in and of itself, that's an impossibility unless the Holy Spirit fills you because by nature, we are sinful and selfish. So we have to have a conversion experience where our prayers take on the nature of, Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your desire? And we're open to that. Prayer opens up all kinds of new ways for us to be changed into the image of Christ. So it was not appropriate for any of this incense to be used for personal purposes, only for God's sanctuary. And God wants us to be a living temple where he dwells in our hearts through faith. The incense ascending with the prayers of Israel represents the merits and intercession of Christ, his perfect righteousness, which through faith is imputed to his people and which can alone make the worship of sinful beings acceptable to God. Before the veil, the most holy place was an altar of perpetual intercession. Before the holy, an altar of continual atonement. By blood and by incense, God was to be approached. Symbols pointed to the great mediator through whom sinners may approach Jehovah and through whom alone mercy and salvation can be granted to the repentant, believing soul. That's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 353, paragraph 2. I appreciate that everything that's described here in Exodus, Leviticus, has deep meaning. There may be times when, have you ever read through the Bible? Like the whole Bible. And the reason I say that is, You may come across passages in Exodus and Leviticus, and you're thinking, Lord, why is this here? And the answer is, it's teaching you what Christ's ministry is taking place. There's elements of that that are being described in detail so that we will better understand what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the perfect intercessor. And I would encourage you, if you've not read the Bible through, do it. Do it at the pace that works for you. But if you really want to be guided in your prayer life, allow your prayers to be guided by the Word of God. And I, more and more, I begin to realize claiming promises in prayer is an excellent way to pray. There's 
really so much you can pray about. You can pray for God's guidance and promises. You can pray for God's healing and promises. You can pray for intercession to pray for others. For example, in 1 Timothy 2, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, one of the things that God tells us we should pray for is we're to pray for leaders, we're to pray for those in authority, and we're to pray that all would be saved. That's God's desire. So we're to treat people and pray for people in that way. 1 Timothy 2, this is another aspect of prayer, not just for forgiveness, not just for the things that we may desire that we know are in accordance with God's will from Scripture, but this is a very important aspect, and that is intercession. Praying prayers of intercession, where you're praying for someone else. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Indeed, we could understand that it's appropriate to pray for others. And so we're guided as to who to pray for, our leaders. We should pray for our presidents. We should pray for church leaders. God loves it when we intercede for others because he can do more when we're praying than if we did not pray. One of my favorite promises from the book, The Great Controversy, page 525, paragraph 2 says, it is a part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. So essentially, by intercessory prayer, you're allowing God to do more in this controversy between himself and Satan. Satan's doing everything he can to hinder God's purposes. Through prayer, we allow God to fulfill his purposes more readily and more rapidly. So that's something God wants each of us to be a part of. Now, thankfully, as we experience Christ's will for our lives, one of the other aspects of prayer is that prayer unites us. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you pray with someone and you just feel closer to them. The truth is there's a reason for that. When people are praying together, they are actually being drawn closer to one another because God is the one who is actuating their prayers and actually uniting them through the Holy Spirit. As John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, we see that Christ's prayer is that we would experience that unity. And it is his desire for our entire church, our local church, our families, and each family is to be a little church where we're praying together morning and evening in our worship time and our personal devotions. Prayer is essential to live the Christian life and to be unified with God and with one another. John 17, beginning in verse 20. Jesus, speaking here, before he would go to the cross, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So while we didn't exist or we weren't born yet at the time Jesus prayed this, he was praying for you today, Mary. He was praying here. He was praying for you, Les. He was praying for each and every one of us. He foresaw our existence and he already prayed. I like to say that Jesus pre-prayed for your victory. He pre-prayed for unity with God and with one another. And when we enter into that experience of being a true, consecrated, surrendered believer, and baptism is the entrance into that Christian life experience, It is to be a life of prayer. Jesus has shown essentially that you cannot live this life without constant connection with God. And the struggle, the reason why the Christian life is so deplorably difficult for many who call themselves Christians is that they neglect prayer. They neglect the Bible. They neglect really the essential habits of victory that are offered to all of us. But maybe it will take a rearranging of our time. It will take a rearranging of our schedule. And I just have to say this. 
God is amazing. If you put him first, everything else seems to come into place. Have you seen that? But when you don't put God first, it seems like life is kind of an ongoing crisis. And God does not want us to live in crisis mode, but in victory mode, where prayer is our constant life source. We can go to him and ask for his victory. And I'm thankful that Jesus has invited each and every one of us to be co-laborers with him. And Mary is essentially saying, I'm willing to be another intercessor, another co-laborer with Christ to be a blessing, to be praying for more. And so in Acts 1 verse 8, we see how we need to pray for the Holy Spirit like never before. Acts 1 and verse 8. We're living in the time of the latter rain, the time when Jesus is going to pour out his spirit in a richer measure than he even did then. Christ is inviting us to pray for the Holy Spirit and to receive that power, the power of his character, the power of his grace. Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So when Jesus was baptized, if you read the account in the Gospels in Matthew 3 and 4, you'll see that he was anointed with power of the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good. We want to receive the Holy Spirit so we can do God's will in our lives. And that's where prayer comes in. You need wisdom each day. Lay your plans at his feet. Say, Lord, what is your will for my life today? He will guide you step by step. And to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's two aspects, and I want us to better understand this. There's the infilling of the character, and then there's the equipping of the gifts. And baptism actually connects you with both. So for one, we'll go to Galatians 5, and 23. This is what will come into your character experience when you fully surrender to Christ. This is what it means to be a converted Christian. Not one of these traits of the divine nature will be missing in your experience when Jesus really lives in you. You can't not have them if Jesus is there, because this is his character through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So all these traits will be in your life, but God doesn't leave us just with the traits of his character. He also says, I'm going to give you gifts, because now when a person is baptized, they become a member of the body of Christ, and they're going to have gifts to use to bless others. So if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 through 13, God wants us to know that we have an essential part, and that's why it's such a blessing when someone joins the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They're actually helping to increase the strength of the body. I mean, you could say it's like, wow, it's nice to have a second hand. You know, if you only had one, and in a sense, God knows that there's people out in our community even now that still need to come into this congregation to help us to do more work for God and to reach more souls. Can you say amen to that? There's more body parts, so to speak, out there that we need to reach for Jesus so they can be a part of the joy of winning souls for him. First Corinthians chapter 12, we're looking at verses 11 through 13. Each and every one of us is called to be a member of his body. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So this is God's invitation to us. He's inviting us to have an experience of being a part of his body. And so prayer is not about fulfilling our will apart from God. It's about allowing God to use us for the fulfillment of his purposes. And one more soul saved, one more member of God's church is one more disciple enlisted to be an intercessor in connection with Christ's high priestly intercession that he will finish 
Once the mystery of godliness, his character is reproduced fully in his people, he's going to come and claim us as his own. Won't that be a joyous experience to be with Jesus? Where we're talking to him face to face. But I want you to appreciate the fact that every time you pray, you can by faith know that he hears every word you utter and he interprets your prayers before our Heavenly Father without any awkward stammering words made beautiful and fragrant with the incense of his own perfection. How many of you want to live that life of prayer in Jesus? How many want to have that experience? Amen. If you'd like to raise your hand. If you want to have a life of constant communion with God, then make your life a life of prayer. And so let's kneel for prayer and ask the Lord to to make us truly many women of prayer and pray for God's blessing on Mary as she takes this step in baptism. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you've invited us to be men and women, boys and girls of prayer. Lord, you start with us where we're at. Maybe we start just praying about little things, simple things for our family, our neighbors, but it grows. We start to pray for more people. We start to see more of your character and more of your promises. And we have so many more things that we just want to be in constant connection with you, Lord. We pray for your blessing upon each one here that our lives will be lives of prayer. I pray that you bless Mary. She takes this step in baptism. That as surely as Jesus prayed, as he entered up above that water, and he prayed for your spirit to come upon him, Lord, you answered that prayer. And while we may not see a visible representation of a dove coming upon her today, we know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has been promised when we ask that he will come. So we thank you, Lord. Baptize us with your spirit is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Sean Brizendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you've enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath? I'm sure he'd be glad to meet you.